This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. There was some news today, and it's great news. This is the kind of news that I love to come on here and tell you about. You probably haven't heard this already because it happened mid-afternoon today, and it hasn't. Uh, the word has not completely got out yet. But it has taken an awful long time, way too long, quite frankly. But that's okay. And a lot of people fighting for this and lobbying for this. But finally today, the city of Hamilton has decided, has announced that it is going to finally, properly, honor Russ Jackson. There is a new park that's being built up by West 5th and Rymel, West 5th and Stone Church in that area. And it's going to have soccer fields and tennis courts and basketball courts and a splash pad and a field house and all the rest. And a lit public football field that will now be known or soon be known once it's built as Russ Jackson Field. And this is all, of course, assuming City Council rubber stamps this, you can be sure they're going to rubber stamp this. They're not going to now mess this thing up. But they, because they were the ones who came up with this, basically. They came up with this spot. It is long, long overdue, but it is terrific, terrific news for one of the guys in this city who is most deserving of it. And Russ Jackson joins me now. Russ, congratulations. Well, thank you very much. I was uh, very honored and happy to uh, hear that my name would be associated with the new sort of, uh, I guess it's a multi-purpose sports park and it would be attached to the football field exactly exactly which again seems very appropriate it is and uh knowing that i started here playing football at west Hill high school and uh reading about it in the paper the last few yeah days. we'll get to that in a minute <laughs> anyhow um knowing i started here played here both in high school and college and then went up to ottawa to play for the the rough riders uh it, it's really neat as far as i'm concerned that uh, they've come up with something that uh, is connected with my football background here in the city have you ever had anything named after you? I know there's an award in the university football world, the Russ Jackson Award, but have you ever had anything tangible named after you? Not really. Uh, this is the first uh, time I've had something of this nature happen. Um, I've been put in a lot of Hall of Fame. You have, yeah. <laughs> cities, but uh, um, to get something tangible and have it named after me, is uh, this is the first. Well, you say Halls of Fame. I, I looked this up today, and I, I know I've missed them. You're in the Westdale Secondary School Hall of Fame, Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame, Canadian Football Hall of Fame, Ontario Sports Hall of Fame, Canadian Sports Hall of Fame, Order of Canada, Canadian Walk of Fame, Hamilton Gallery of Distinction. That one was just recently. I, I'm sure I've left some out. This, this must get very boring after a while for people to keep telling you how great you are. Well, it never gets boring. <laughs> As you get older, it gets nicer. <laughs> well, and your kids must love it. You, go, you have how many grown kids now? Uh, three. Three grown kids. They must love this. Oh, it's great. Yeah, and the grandkids, too. They're all sort of almost finishing university. and uh, Really? Okay. They're old enough to understand uh, what's going on, and uh, it's really neat for them to uh, hear about their, uh, well, their dad and their grandpa. When did your grandkids kind of get to the point, I'm sure they were exposed to, you know, pictures or videos that your kids would have shown them. When did they start to understand what your career had all been about? I think they... Uh, the oldest one probably got to be around uh, 14 or 15, and uh, that started to uh, happen because of uh, going out with them and then being approached by people at restaurants right. and uh, various functions, and uh, they started to think, oh, well, what's going on? And I remember being at a football game in Hamilton with, with one of them, not the oldest one, and uh, people would come up and talk to me and say hello and hello, and uh, all he could wait to come home and tell his mom about how many people knew me and came home and uh, thought that that was kind of interesting. That makes it real for them. It sure does, yes. 
So when you hear then that there's going to be, because again, the Russ Jackson Award, and I'll say this, I mean, in university football in Canada, the Russ Jackson Award, really, the, there's the Heck Crichton Award, which is for the best player, but the Russ Jackson Award kind of covers all the the facets of a, of a player. It's, the, it's their play on the field, it's their work in the community, it's their marks, it's kind of a the best of all worlds. So that's really nice that you have that one named after you. But when you're hearing that there's going to be a field, something tangible, something that, you know, 50, 100 years after you're gone, people are still going to see this thing. What does that mean to somebody? Well, it's, it's very special. I, I have been, as you mentioned, in, put in a lot of Hall of Fames. And uh, now this will be something that will carry on long after I'm gone. And uh, it, it will be something that my kids will remember, and they'll be still around to know that that's there and it's there for a reason, hopefully a, a very positive reason. And it'll carry down through the grandkids. And uh, for a lot of years, the, the Jackson family will understand and appreciate uh, what Hamilton did to uh, say thank you to me. Has it been a surprise to you? Because I know you heard rumblings about this a while ago. Has it been a surprise to you that it's taken this long, or did you give it much thought in the meantime from the first time you heard it? Well, I've given it a little thought. In fact, it was kind of interesting. Uh, We had our family here for for lunch one day, the the kids, the three kids, and uh, their significant others. And uh, we were talking about it, and I was saying that it's kind of surprising that uh, nothing has has materialized yet. And I was kind of wondering, well, if maybe it just got lost in the sunset. But uh, that was only a couple, three weeks ago. And then, lo and behold, I get a call from Terry Whitehead today saying, would I consider having my name attached to the the football part of this uh, new sports complex up in the mountains? So uh, it, it was, I guess, on my mind a bit. And uh, I was wondering if uh, something was going to happen or whether, as I say, it had sort of got passed over. You have said, um, and I've heard you, you gave one of the all-time, I watched it today, one of the great speeches when you were inducted into Canada's Walk of Fame. Uh, you had to get up. And I thought you gave a terrific speech that day. And one of the things you said, and I would encourage people to go watch that because anyone who thinks that football players maybe don't speak all that well sometimes or they're not that bright, this was this was a football player who gave one of the all-time great speeches. But you said football was your hobby and education or teaching was your profession. Did that allow you, when you had that kind of attitude and that kind of thinking, did that allow you to retire from football and move on with your life and be able to deal with that? Because a lot of guys can't. When they're done, that's a huge chasm now in their life that they can never fill. Well, it certainly did. Um, Most people aren't aware when they they see the football players today that they don't hold down full-time jobs when they're playing. But when I played back in the 60s, um, I was a full-time teacher. In fact, I moved up and was a vice principal when I left my football, my hobby. And so I was prepared to leave. I was prepared to put football behind me because I had something else immediately I wanted to move into and continue and, and, and do things other than what I was doing at that time during my football career. So there, there's no question. I think that was true for a lot of players back in my day, that leaving football was a little easier than it is now or, or any sport when you have something you've already committed to and know that's what you really want to do. And and it's a very honest statement. I've said that many times, that football was my hobby and education was my profession. But I bet you can see players today that can't deal with that as easily because they they haven't had to prepare really for that. I mean, it's been all about football or hockey or whatever. That That is entirely the focus of their life. And what do you do when it's done? 
That's true, and that's why some of them have so much difficulty when they do leave. And I believe some of them, uh, I've often said, some of them stay too long in the sport because they really don't have a stepping stone to another work, to other work or some other profession that they can get involved with. And uh, that's unfortunate with the athletes today. And uh, I honestly think that the athlete back when I played both uh, specifically in football was able to do that and prepare themselves for leaving the game. Let's talk about that, you say, unfortunately. Let's talk about something else unfortunate that you alluded to a moment ago, right at the start here. Um, This week it was sort of made public that Westdale, where you really, well, not really, where you did learn to play football, is all but certainly not going to have a team this coming year. They don't have a coach. Their coach that's been there for 20 years has said, you know, I've got to spend some time with my family. There's other considerations as well. Is that? Do you look at that as being very disappointing that the team where you started, the school where you started, isn't going to have a team? Or has so much water passed under the bridge that you say, you know what, times change? No, I'm very disappointed. I, I read that in the paper recently, and, and I, I was surprised. In fact, I might say shocked to hear that Westdale may not have a football team. There, there are some sports that try to make a go of it at the high school level. Um, I've had some in the schools I've been principal of, and they just don't carry the weight and they don't have the people interested and therefore they don't succeed but football has been synonymous with Westdale High School and a lot of the high schools in Hamilton and and other cities and uh, I think it's rather uh, disheartening when you hear that it possibly could not exist at that school in the future. Do you worry about the sport period especially at the grassroots level because I have to believe with all the talk about concussions and everything else there may be a lot of parents who are saying well you know what can you choose another sport, please, Johnny? I, I'm not sure I want you to go into football. Does that concern you? It doesn't concern me. I think there always will be the kids that want to play football. Sure, there are other sports that they can get into. Soccer seems to be one that's growing in leaps and bounds, and uh, people say they don't get hurt there. And, and rugby's another one. And I look at the rugby games I've seen, and I think they could get concussions faster there without any headgear on and they they can in football as we play it but i think the key is that they get good coaching i would not want to see my kids or grandkids um go into the sport if they weren't coached properly and 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 given all the the fundamentals of how to play the game properly and uh, i think they do that in the high schools here in hamilton just before i let you go um it is amazing to me now when I look that you you grew up with Harry Howell. Uh, you were uh, were you in class? Were you in the same grade as Harry Howell at Westdale? No, he he was a little ahead of me. I was okay. in uh, his brother Ronnie Howell. Okay, yeah. but Ron, who played in the CFL, played in the NHL. Uh, you who had obviously the career you did. Harry, who now has an arena named after him. You were there for the uh, the renaming of the Harry Howell Arena. Uh, right. Bill Friday, who I don't, were you, were you, did you know Bill I, as a kid? Oh, I know him very well. I was very disappointed that I didn't get a chance to go to the one, the renaming of his, but I didn't know when it was happening. I didn't uh, hear too much about it. But anyhow, yeah, I know Bill, and he, the, I remember him the first time was, he used to umpire baseball games that I played in back <laughs> in the good old days. So even back as a kid, he was officiating rather than playing. That's right. He was, he was umpiring baseball. But it's amazing to me that of that era that now, I mean, three of you obviously have arenas or fields now named after you, but what were we doing so well in Hamilton back then to produce that quality of athlete? Because we have put out a lot of good athletes since, but I don't know that it's been that level. 
Well, I, it, it's hard to say. I think that there's a, a lot of it is that the involvement of the, the teaching staffs and, and coaches, when they have finally allowed coaches outside the, the teachers to uh, take over some of the sports in Hamilton, they were people who were really involved and really wanted people to be good and wanted them to enjoy the game and the sport. And I think that has a lot to do with the success that so many of us had at that time. It is remarkable, though, because, again, I mean, if you were to put a list, if you were to build a list of the greatest athletes from this city, um, you and Harry are, are easily in the top two of the top three, and that's, uh, and that's from one very specific period of time. And it's, um, it's just, I'm, I'm so happy that they're doing this finally, uh, Russ. I think it's so long overdue, and, and once again, congratulations. It's, uh, it is, I look forward to getting up there to seeing something finally in this city named after Russ Jackson. Well, I thank you very much, and I know you've had a fair bit to do with that. Both my wife, Lois, and I are very pleased and very happy with how it's gone. Perfect. Thanks, Russ. Thank you. That is Russ Jackson, who will soon have a field named after him. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Unquestionably, the biggest question facing the world today, it's not got anything to do with James Comey, it's not got anything to do with politics, it's not got anything to do with global warming or... Martian inv- I mean, nothing. The biggest question facing us today is on Sunday night when the Nashville Predators play Game 6 at home in Nashville, which country music superstar is going to sing the national anthem? I don't know if you've been paying attention to this, but this has become... Guessing who it's going to be has become a sport in Nashville because after Carrie Underwood, who's married to Mike Fisher, the captain of the Predators, sang the anthem early in the playoffs, it has been a string of bigger star after bigger star after bigger star with Nashville constantly trying to outdo itself to come up with who could possibly be next. The trick, of course, is to make this work, you have to go on a long playoff run because you need a lot of dates in order because, you know, two home dates, who cares? But they're going to be in... This is going to be guaranteed the last game in Nashville this season. It can't be more than this. The series doesn't go to eight games or nine games. So who is it going to be? Let's bring in our local resident country music expert and aficionado, Bubba O'Neill from CHCH Sports, (laughs) a man who owns not just one but four 10-gallon hats and a closet full of cowboy boots. I don't mind the new country scene, and has all the Rascal Flats albums. <laughs> well, let's 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 take it easy there. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of have to disagree with uh, with you a little bit. Oh, uh, on what? I, no, no, I just feel like the quality of the country music stars has decreased. Well, the quality of their performance has decreased. Like, I don't know, that Dirks Bentley was awful last game. Yep. Martina McBride, her day's long gone. I feel like they peaked early and it's just, it's slowly fallen apart. Well, I, the I performances... Mean, nothing, a, nothing short of a Garth Brooks on Sunday can save what's going on there. Well, you know what? I, I, I'm thinking, Bob, I'm thinking way bigger than Garth Brooks. I've got someone in mind way bigger than Garth Brooks that is going to be trotted out to sing the national anthem. Dolly? Dolly Parton is going to be singing the national anthem. And I don't think in Nashville. Have you ever been to Nashville? No. no. It is essentially Dolly Parton land. There is Dolly World, which is a, a theme park. I don't know if it's still there. There's, 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 uh, it's Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton owns that place. And if, she, if they bring her out to sing the anthem, they don't even have to play a game. It's Does like Kenny it's like, Rogers show up. Uh, I think Kenny Rogers probably his face is now so tight that he couldn't sing. 
He's had so many surgeries now that if he tries to sing, it'll sound like, uh, hey, 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 he couldn't move his lips anymore. That guy, you could bounce a dime off his face. Guess he's forever young. Oh, man. Islands in the surgeon's clinic is what he's singing. No, he, um, but no, Dolly Parton it would be like Nashville's answer to Kate Smith. Yeah, for sure. You bring her out there, and I'm telling you, that place. Now, I'm I'm not a I'm not a big do- I'm not a country music fan at all. In fact, the country music makes my fillings buzz. But the fact is, it's been very impressive what they've been able to do. That a they've been able to get a city that you didn't think of as a terrific hockey market completely on board with this thing. But more impressive, or at least as impressive, they have been able to get every stinking celebrity in that city to buy in. That 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 has really helped this whole thing, I think, as far as the show goes. Well, I think the actual city doesn't really. I mean, you could talk about the Tennessee Titans, so that's kind of more of a regional state team. Mm-hmm. This is right in the city of Nashville, and this gives them something to cheer for. They don't have a professional baseball team, and we've seen this in the past. And I'll use the Florida Panthers as an example, of course, you know, when they were throwing plastic rats on the ice. I'll even go as far as the Carolina Hurricanes when they were winning, when they went to the Stanley Cup final and then eventually won one. It became the hot, trendy thing to do. The stadiums became very loud. I think it's based on the fact that maybe these teams or visiting teams were used to going into them, into them and just really – it just wasn't a lot of people. But then when the playoffs start, and these, if these teams do well, all of a sudden it becomes the hot, trendy thing to do. Now, Nashville has taken it to a whole new level, but I think it kind of follows along that same pattern. But, but as I say, what really has impressed me about Nashville, besides the creativity and everything, is that the star, the celebrities from that city have, it seems, universally – bought into this thing and you know it it would be like i'm trying to think if it was in toronto and and you know i i don't feel quite as stupid these days saying that someday there might be a stanley cup final in toronto (laughs) i don't know who you who do you who do you trot out to center ice to sing the anthem that matches the celebrity the star power of what we've seen we just don't have that comparison i mean let's be honest the the bare naked ladies time after time well, I mean, it would have to be a Bieber, or I mean, it would have to be someone big. But, Rush, but oh, stop it! Come on, Rush! Every night, Rush, full band, full performance. Oh, come on, come pyro on. It's and over. everything. It's over. It's over. Jenny's <laughs> done. But like, that's Music City. That's what they're famous that's true. for. You've got stars that are there, just hanging out there. They live there. This is where stars are actually made as well, too. So you've got a lot of people that you can choose from in terms of that music scene. That's why people float to Nashville. It's a big party town, and people go to, to, to become big. It's like going to Los Angeles for an actor. You go there to become yep. big. Well, they have kept the anthem singer a closely, I mean, state secret. I mean, they're tighter than James Comey with the information about who's going to sing the anthem. But my money, I'm predicting Dolly Parton is going to be the one who they bring out there. Because I don't think you can go any bigger than Dolly Parton in Nashville. The, unless the you're going to bring out like Hank Williams Jr. from the grave or something. Or Minnie Pearl. Well, <laughs> it, 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 but isn't Hank, I mean, a, a star again now? But now that he's going to be singing the uh, the NFL Monday Night theme all over again? Yeah, so I was thinking of Hank Williams, the uh, the the father. But that would be oh. a real big deal. <laughs> okay. Bring out the corpse and animatronicize him or something, and uh, that would be kind of gross. All right, um, let us move on from hockey for a second because we are right in the middle of what should be. I think, based on performance, should be the greatest NBA championship in history. And I have to tell you, while 
a lot of the action, a lot of the performance is amazing. I am bored out of my mind because from day one of this NBA season, from actually from the spring trade or the off season when Kevin Durant decided to move over to Golden State, there has been no doubt in any thinking person's mind who was going to win the championship, and it's playing out. I think it's I love dynasties in sports. I don't love it when you create something that takes every bit of guesswork, every bit of suspense and mystery out of the sport, and you know who's going to win from day one. Well, I don't know if you know that. I, I think everyone pretty much concluded that you had the Cavaliers and you had the Warriors and everyone else. And you can't discount the, the, the Cavaliers. They won this thing last year. They are the defending champions. But you're right. You add Durant to that all-star lineup. And I think what people aren't talking about is the motivation of losing last year. I'm talking about Golden State here. Setting the NBA record with 73 victories, the greatest regular season in NBA history, and they fell short, giving up a 3-1 lead to the Cleveland Cavaliers and arguably perhaps the best player in the world. And now, in this situation, they're motivated. They're ready. And even LeBron, I'm telling you, I mean, for people that watch that game last night, LeBron James and Kyrie Irving can't possibly play better than they did. The problem is, it's for most of these games, it's LeBron and Kyrie, or LeBron and Tristan Thompson, or LeBron and Kevin Love, uh, LeBron and Kyle Korver against a team of five that are just blowing up right now, and they are unstoppable. Did you hear the number from last night? I heard this uh, earlier today. In the 46 minutes that LeBron James was on the court, out of 48 minutes, of the 46 minutes LeBron James was on the court last night, Cleveland outscored Golden State by seven points. They were up by seven. In the two minutes that he was off, they were outscored by 12. Isn't that crazy? That just tells me, well, it tells me one of two things. It tells me, A, LeBron is that good, or B, his supporting cast is that overmatched. I think it's a bit of both, Scott. I really do. I I mean... uh... Again, because LeBron, I will say this, and I have preached this forever, LeBron is the best player in the world, but the Warriors are the best team in the world. And you and I have hung around sports for a long, long time, and you know who always wins that, okay, that, that equation. But here's the problem I have with it. When the New York Yankees were at their best in the 1990s into the 2000s, you thought that they had a very good chance to win every year, but you didn't know they were going to win. They, because, and the reason is because you can't have one or two players in baseball that essentially right. drives the entire game. You could have a great starting pitcher, but the next day your starting pitcher could struggle. That's right. Um, in the NHL with the Oilers or with the Canadians or with who, or the Islanders, you knew they were really good, but they were beaten at times, and so you didn't know they were going to win. And in football, certainly we've seen in the NFL every year pretty much, except for the Patriots, and they don't win every year, but this I, I I love dynasties. I think this is this situation right now in the NBA is really unhealthy for the NBA because there's no reason to think that these two teams aren't going to be in the finals again next year and the year after, perhaps. I mean, what, that that can't be good for this league. I, well, <laughs> the numbers aren't showing it though, Scott. That's the crazy thing because you you would be right. You would think people would be bored of this, but each game has become a bigger ratings bonanza for, for the United States uh, TV carriers and ABC. People are more are interested. I guess it's because people wanted to see this. They wanted to see the, the you know, this is the third time these teams have gone head-to-head in the final, and 
it's weird because you're you're right. It should you should think that people are bored of it. You should think that other markets that you know have been blown out, like maybe Toronto earlier in the rounds, it would stop watching. But people are still watching. I guess they. I think what we're seeing is that people want star power. But and but this has plenty of star power. But here's the here's the part where that that argument. I think, I, and you're right. The numbers for the finals are really good, but. What about all the other games now next year or in the regular season if you are a fan of a team that you know darn well has no chance to win? And so you could get big numbers in the finals, but how does that affect the numbers all year long if you're in Denver or you're in Philadelphia or you're in wherever, even in Toronto, and you say there is no chance my team can possibly win a championship? But yet attendance was up in Toronto this year. How were, and, what were, well, and Toronto had a very nice year. But, I mean, if I'm, a, if I'm a Raptors fan and I'm watching these finals and I saw how easily Cleveland manhandled my team, yep. what reason do I have to believe that, that the Toronto Raptors are within 1,000 miles of a championship? Because I don't see it. You're totally right. The, the, the only thing is, uh, for, I think what it does is it puts extreme pressure on, on uh, general managers and ownerships uh, of other teams that somehow they, some way, they have to find way, ways to load their teams full of star power. Because And what it does, I think, as well, too, is teams like Minnesota that have guys like, I mean, they, they've got a wealth of talent there. We've got a lot of young guys, yeah. Wiggins and, and players like that. They're going to get plucked of talent. Once those, once those guys become mature and ready to lead teams, the big teams like perhaps the Raptors, Boston, New York, who's struggling right now and rebuilding, and even Cleveland, they're going to pluck talent because they're going to try and become these super teams. And you're right. I think time will tell if this sort of imbalance, imbalance or philosophy that's going on in the league right now, uh, how long it can last. Because I mean, there's, there is a salary cap. But yeah, but the way it works allows you to do an awful lot and not really be capped it's, by it's a salary. Kind of like in baseball, where there actually is no salary cap. And, it's a salary and suggestion. A salary suggestion, <laughs> and 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 if you want to go over the cap, the, the suggested cap, you got to pay a, a quote luxury tax, and teams are more than willing to do it, especially if they're going to end up uh, winning. I mean, I heard, I think I read a stat that if the if the Warriors don't win. If they sorry, if they do win on Friday night and don't clinch, uh, take the series back home, there is uh, something like two point something million dollars they're going to lose out on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet at the same time, if you do win on the road, you can sell many more T-shirts saying sixteen and zero, which is worth way more than the two point three million. You can sell you know two point three million dollars worth of those easily. So absolutely. Um, Here's the thing. Here's the only way I can actually imagine that the Toronto Raptors could ever, because apparently players don't want to come here by and large, free agents. So if you're going to, if this is now going to be a league of super teams, the only way the Raptors have any chance in the world of competing is to appeal to the nationalistic tendencies and have every Canadian player come to play in Canada and try and convince them to build the national team to try and take on the States. And I don't know that that would work because ultimately money is what's going to work. But if you could somehow do that and say, we're taking on the world now, come home to the nest and we are going to 
show that Canada's the best, maybe you have a chance. But otherwise, I see no way the Raptors can build a super team and then no way they can compete. Well, I mean, they, they've got a big two. I mean, if if they keep Lowry, they've got a nice big two in, in, in Lowry and DeRozan, who's improved every single year and I think finished to third or, sorry, fifth in scoring league scoring this year, which is certainly nothing to sneeze about. But you're right. If they were to go on a nationalistic basis, uh, there's certainly some up-and-comers right now that, that they could build a nice little club. But at the end of the day, money talks. <laughs> I got 30 and, seconds here. I got to jump in. I got 30 seconds left. I want to ask you about one more thing. I'm sure you saw this story today. Uh, international soccer friendly involving Australia and Saudi Arabia. <laughs> And they decided to have a minute of silence for the people who were the victims of terror in London, two of whom were Australians, and this game is being played in Australia. And they have a minute of silence, and the Saudi Arabian team will not be silent and stand still. They continue on with their warm-up. What should FIFA or someone else, should they be doing anything about this? Or do you just say, uh, you know what, whatever? I think FIFA needs to step in. I mean, it's just an ultimate show of disrespect, right? I mean... You're trying. You're doing these moments of silence just to show respect to the countries, and and for them to to just disrespect what was what they were attempting to do, is 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 actually really really bad. It looks bad on them. I, I I don't know that it's a great comparison, but I look at this something like you know FIFA and soccer bodies have been very, and I appreciate this. I applaud this. Have been very stern when players or fans have uttered racial epithets or something else. Mm-hmm. And that is what is what's the reason why you crack down or why you're offended by a racial or a anti-Semitic or whatever epithet is because it's disrespectful. Yep. Well, how is this? I mean, it's different, but it's not that different in a, in a sense. And I'm looking going, you know, I don't want to create a worldwide issue here. But boy, that, it, to me, it seems like this is not all that far off. Some of those other things that they've been very stern on. Well, that's it's funny. The word respect is one of their slogans. So. For this to happen, I think something someone's got to pay, and uh, I'm actually sad to hear that. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH, you can catch him tonight at 11, and 11.15, and 11.30, and 11, what, how many times are you on in the show now, about 12? <laughs> well, <laughs> just send Taz home, and you'll just do the whole thing yourself. Oski wee wee, my friend. Have a great night. All right. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Former FBI Director James Comey. He was in front of a bunch of people talking about what Donald Trump did or didn't do in Russia and all these other things. And I'm not going to get into all that. If you were really interested in the details of his testimony, you either followed it or you've been reading up on it all day or listening to the talk shows and all the rest. So I'm not going to go into all the stuff there, but that doesn't... I mean, it interests me, but what really stood out to me from this today, if you listen to or read about the entirety of what he talked about, because yes, he definitely said some things that those who dislike Donald Trump will latch on to. And he said some things that even those people who like Donald Trump are going to kind of, I'm not sure, are going to feel a little uncomfortable. I mean, he said the president lies. And he said that he took notes because he was worried the president would tell mistruths. And he said that Donald Trump asked for the investigation into Michael Flynn, all about the Russia thing, uh, if he would let that go. And on and on. There's a number of things there that you would look at and you go, you know, that, that doesn't sound too good. That doesn't sound probably nothing that rises to a crime, but it doesn't sound too good. And so... If you read certain stories today, you will see the stories about how the things that James Comey said 
battered President Trump. Here's the part about it, though, that I found really interesting today. Because while this was positioned as the time when the fired FBI director was going to slam the current president, he said some other things to some other questions. And one of them, and there were a number of them, but one in particular stands out, and that was that he testified that, do you know who Loretta Lynch is? Not Loretta Lynn, Loretta Lynch. She was Obama's attorney general at one time, near at the end. And he testified that she had gone to him and asked him to adjust an investigation around Hillary Clinton's email server. Hmm. Hmm. Now, I'm not taking sides in this one. But the fact that the attorney general who represents a president, maybe not the president's words directly, but she was speaking essentially for the president, that's what the attorney general does, had asked for an investigation to be altered or wording. Basically, I want you to align what you say with the words that the Hillary Clinton campaign is using so it sounds better for it. It's not about who's right, who's wrong. The point that this struck with me is, rather than saying that Donald Trump did something horrible, he may have. I'm not, I'm not disputing that. It sounds like when you listen to this, this is simply par for the course with every party in office in the States. If you have power, you use your power. You squeeze people below you and you try to make them mold to your whim and your will. That's what it sounds like to me. There may have, there were some things here that are going to cause people concerns if they didn't already have them about Donald Trump. But there's also stuff here from the previous administration. And I bet you that if you went back before that, there would be things from the George W. Bush administration. And if you go back, there'd be things from the Bill Clinton administration. And if you go back to the George H.W. Bush administration and the Reagan administration and the Carter administration before that, on and on and on. It just appears that this is the way politics is done. When you have someone on the stand, assuming you believe that James Comey is telling the truth, what the testimony today suggests is, this is how politics happens. You have power, you use power. And is there anyone out there listening who doesn't take the next logical step and believe, you know what? Why would we think that if it happens in the States, the same thing doesn't happen to some degree in Canada or any other place, Britain, anywhere? This is this was a peak, and it wasn't the kind of peak that people were expecting. People expected today that there was going to be a bomb that went off and that suddenly it was just the, the craziest thing ever and that Donald Trump had been in private meetings with Putin and arranging everything. Well, I mean, Comey said that there was no evidence that Donald Trump or his people directly conspired with the Russians. But that that's not the point. The point is everybody, it seems, in every administration that was being talked about here exerts their pressure and their force and their power to mold and pressure people to do things they want. This is not the level of what people believe about Donald Trump. It may be higher, but every politician, every president apparently does this kind of thing. And that that doesn't excuse anybody. To the contrary, that makes me more worried about how politics works. It doesn't mean that because Obama and his administration with Loretta Lynch did it, that that excuses Donald Trump. Far from it. 
you would like to think that a politician doesn't rely on what the precedent was to see how far they can exert their power or how much they can get away with. You would like to think they would be better than that. But this to me, as I listened to this thing and what I saw today and what I read today, if anything, it was depressing and not in the way that I expected it to be depressing. It was just a pretty much an acknowledgement that there is blanket abuse or maybe not even a, is that the right word? I don't know. Blanket use of the power you have to get the things that you want to have the way you want to have them. And if you have to squeeze someone, yeah, you know what? You're going to do it in a way probably that allows you wiggle room. So when someone does get up and testify, they're not going to be able to pin you to the wall, but there's no doubt in the person's mind what's really going on. And again, it doesn't, it doesn't excuse anybody's behavior. It doesn't let Trump off. It doesn't make it worse for him. It doesn't let Obama off. It doesn't make it worse for him or anyone else. It just seems to me pretty darn friggin' depressing that this is the way politics is. You don't, I, you, where are the people who are above this stuff? Where are they? And don't tell me again that, oh, in Canada, we're so much better than this. Do you believe for, I mean, if you believe that somehow the people, even, you know, whether it's Harper and a lot of people say, oh, well, Stephen Harper, I mean, he was scary. Do you truly believe that regardless of what party is in office, whether you think they were scary or sunny or sexy or whatever, do you think they don't wield their power and flex their muscles? Of course they do. You just don't always see it. And that's what today was about. We saw it. We saw a little glimpse of how it works. And it's disturbing. It's disturbing. That's the best way we can describe it. Anyway, enough about politics. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. So last week, Will and I were chatting because Google put out a um, a list. They had done some searching. They had done some data mining, whatever you want to call it. And turns out they had been able to find out which words caused the most trouble spelling-wise for all the people in all the 50 different states. They were able to figure this out. I mean, it's not that difficult, really. You just you look up and you they, they can do all this stuff. So, But the thing that was missing was they did not have the same, or at least that we could find, the same information for Canada. Well, good news for all. Oh, happy day. We may just stand and sing O Canada to begin this segment. But good news, they have now provided us with that information. So Will is back on the hot seat today. You ready for this, Will? Yay! All right. So we are going to go through, and you're going to have to see if you can spell the words that Canadians can't spell. So, see, the one the thing was with the Americans, you were off the hook because you weren't American, so it didn't really matter. But now... There is great pressure on you to prove, this is the 150th anniversary, birthday of Canada. You have to prove your Canadianness. Fail at this, and I don't know what happens to you. we got to, like, send you for a blood transfusion with maple syrup or something. I'm not sure what we do. That would do it. Actually, Tim Hortons apparently has their uh, duchies back on the shelves. They brought them back, so maybe we'll just send you out to eat a dozen duchies and try again after that, and that'll make you more Canadian. Anyway, here we go. Uh, tell me what prov- uh, a province or a territory where you would like to start today. Alberta. Alberta. Well, okay, let's skip Alberta. I'm going to go there last okay. only because okay. that word is by far the weirdest one. All right. All right. We'll save that till the end. But give me any other one. Um, let's go Quebec. Quebec. See, I don't think that th- I don't think this would be hard to spell, but since it's Quebec, 
and they are many of them speak French. Maybe that's what causes this problem. But again, I don't even know why this word would come up for discussion. Oh, anyway, blueberry. B l u e b e r r y. No problem. That's, ding ding ding. I yes. picked a great one there. Blueberry. Easy start. Uh, I. Uh, again, I don't know why that. What would be blueberry in French? I'm not even sure how you would say that. But that's berry, <laughs> berry de bleu. Uh, I don't know. Uh, with a le in front, le berry de bleu. Um, all right, so you got one. You're one for one. Let me make a little scorecard here so I can keep track. You're correct and wrong. There you go. One. All right, pick another one. People at home can, by the way, can play along. Will, as he's thinking about this, you can see if you can spell it before Will does. British Columbia. British Columbia. Another one that I didn't think was that hard. I don't know why. Altar. As in, you're a bride and groom walking down to the altar. Ooh, okay, okay. Um... No, sorry, that's not. That's Northwest. That's Yukon. I oh, gave that's you Yukon. the Yukon. That's the oh. Yukon. All right, let's go can with Yukon. Can I try the Yukon one? Stick with Yukon. Yeah, Alter. Okay. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong place. Oh, man. I Okay, I think I'm going to mess this one up because it's... it's uh, Okay, whatever. A-L-T-E-R. A-L-T-A-R. A-R. I knew... Okay. You knew your thoughts. Okay, British Columbia now. And I would have thought this one would have been more for the north. But anyway, Pneumonia. P-N-E-U-M-O-N-I-A. Correct. Yeah, the silent P. I remember the, uh, yes, that was, um, what was that one, uh, that, that thing someone told me once that, uh, yeah, p- it was, someone had to spell their name. You know how you say your name and people use it in like military terms, like it's Charlie Echo Delta. They say, well, yeah, my name is uh, Peters. P is in pneumonia. Uh, anyway, yes. Um, all right. Let us, well, you know what? I'll save you some time here. Let us move along. We'll go to, from here. We'll go to Saskatchewan. Now, this fits with Saskatchewan. This, to me, seems like a word in Saskatchewan with their work ethic and everything else. It would fit, but they can't spell it. Discipline. Oh, no. Uh, uh, D-I-C-I-P-L-I-N-E. D-I-S-C-I-P-L-I-N-E. Okay. Keeping going. Manitoba. Who knew there were this many godless folks in Manitoba? Atheist. Maybe it's the. Maybe that's what. Maybe it's okay. A T H E I S T. Say that again. A T H. A T H. Yep. Uh, I think you had it. E I S T. E I S T. That's right. Atheist. Yes. I didn't know that all the people who don't believe in God have settled in Manitoba, but apparent. Or, or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe there are so few of them that they can't spell it because they've never encountered one. Maybe they all just changed their mind at the same time. And all well, that, that would then be them. agnostic. Yes, yes, you're right. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, Ontario. Don't know this. This to me would suggest that Ontario has the dumbest population in all of Canada. I don't like to believe that's true. I certainly know that the people listening to this show don't fall into that category, but that's not me pandering. That's being telling the truth. Color. Oh, I wonder if this is because we're close to the border. C O L O U R. Correct. Yeah. How different? That's not hard. Because in the States, it's just C O L O R. Uh, I know, but still, we spell everything else with a U. Yeah. Will is W I O U L L. Yeah, O U L. Yeah, it's, um, you know, Scott is S C O U uh, Scout. Um, all right. Newfoundland and Labrador. Precious. <laughs> That's not me describing them. That's the word they can't I, spell. I know, I know. I just heard the Lord of the Rings uh, quote in my, my head. My precious. <laughs> 
So that happened last week. You made me laugh and I messed it up. Okay, P-R-E-C-I-O-U-S. That is correct, yes. my precious. Okay, uh, where are we going next here? Let's go to Nova Scotia. Here's a, This is actually a tough one, and it's, it's on the water, so I understand why this word would be looked up. I don't know how many of them have such a thing, but yacht. Y-A-C-H-T. Yes. Yacht is a tough one. You got that one right. New Brunswick. Elliptical. Again, I'm wondering why. These are words, I, yeah. every time I hear one of these, I'm thinking, why are you looking this up so often? Yeah. But they are. Elliptical. Elliptical. Um, uh, E-L-L-I-P-T-I-C-A-L. You are correct. Uh, Prince Edward Island. Bargain. B-A-R-G-A-I-N. Again, hard? I don't think so. What are they doing in Prince Edward Island? They need to look up bargain. Maybe everything is, maybe they all like to spend a lot of money, so it's rare to have a bargain. And so, I mean, I don't know. Uh, a couple left here. If you're playing along at home, how are you doing so far? Uh, none of it. Anxiety. Oh, uh, A-N-X-I-E-T-Y. <laughs> These are so much easier than the American. We always make fun of the Americans as being a bunch of dumb hillbillies. They're doing way better than us. These are easy words to spell. Yacht, I think, was the hardest one, wasn't it? I mean, these are not yeah. hard words. How can we Canadians be having this much trouble with these words? All right, two more. Uh, Northwest Territories. This one might be a little tricky. Facetious. Oh, okay. Uh, F. A C I. Oh no, T I O U S. F A C E T I O U S. I don't think you've ever been off by more than one, but you're always close. All right, and the final one, which, as I said off the top, this is Alberta, and all of these seemingly, except for a couple of them, have been puzzling for why they would be looked up enough that Google would track these and say these are the words people have the most trouble spelling because if it's just looked up one or 200 times over the course of a year, I wouldn't think that would register. It must be looked up a lot for it to stand out. So I don't know what is going on in Alberta. I don't know what they're doing there. I don't know what movies they're watching. I don't know what era they're locked in. I don't know if they only get one channel on their TV and it shows Mary Poppins on a loop. But the word that they have the most trouble spelling is supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. That what? is atrocious. What are they doing there? I won't even ask you to spell that. I want to give worry. it a shot. I want to give well, it a shot. Take a shot at it. I memorized it at as one so, point. As soon as you get it wrong, as soon as you get a letter wrong, I'm going to buzz you though because we only have okay. tonight to do S-U-P-E-R-C-A-L-L-I. this. S u p e r c a l l i one l. I won't even spell it. Super, but it's what people. If you're listening from Alberta, why in the world are you looking up supercalif to spell that word enough that it registers with Google? Again, like, have you? I'm pretty sure I've never typed in. And that's the other part. How exactly do you type in this word to say I don't know how to spell it? Like, even if your computer has the auto thing where it guesses what you're saying, surely there must be about a thousand things that it would guess you're trying to spell before it would do the whole supercalifragilisticexpialidocious thing. I don't understand these people. You know, Albertans, I understand, are lovely folk. But this one has me completely puzzled. I don't know what you people out there are doing. I don't know if the, like the pollution from the oil sands is starting to seep into the water. And I mean, who knows what's going on? But apparently they've gone full-on Mary Poppins out there. Don't understand it at all. 
The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.